That's where we're going now to uh, Campeche in Mexico and our uh, Latin American correspondent, uh, John Bonfilio. Uh, John, thanks uh, ever so much for joining us. Good evening, Martin. It all seems a bit slicker tonight. Is it the same producer as the last few weeks or is it someone new? <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't let Stuart hear you saying that. Uh, yes, yeah, so we love them both equally, but uh, Mark is back. Mark is back to um, lend it that patina of slickness. Oh, well, I like that. Bit, I'm going to put that on yes. my LinkedIn. Do, That's do. What TV he, does. <laughs> yes, indeed. Of course, he's, he's back with us from TV, but he's not bitter. And that's the uh, exciting thing about it. Uh, now, uh, let, let's look at the wider world here and starting with uh, Brazil. Um, round one has been uh, has been done and a, a lot closer than than we thought, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the, the big takeaway from this is that the more extreme the politicians that you, that you are polling or trying to get a steer on from, from the electorate in terms of voting intentions, the less likely it is that you're going to get an accurate uh, result because Bolsonaro, somewhere between 8 and 10% better in the real election, in the final election of the first round than he was doing in polling. The, the Lula de Silva, the left of centre candidate, basically around about the same as we were expecting, 48%, but Bolsonaro, who we were thinking generally would would tank really i mean not tank but you know maybe one in three voters would give them their vote but really not that far behind the more mainstream candidate and uh, interesting because there was a, a a third and fourth placed candidates who achieved four and three percent of the vote respectively who have both cast their lot in behind lula da silva simon tebet a centrist candidate uh, declared in the last couple of days that she was going to support Lula de Silva, and it's interesting what she said. It's just a short paragraph, but in terms of why she's decided to support Lula, and she uh, issued a press release in which she said that in the last four years, Brazil has been abandoned to a bonfire of hatred and disagreements. Denialism delayed the vaccine. Guns replaced books. Iniquity bent hope, and lies have hurt the truth. And she is critical of Lula de Silva as an individual and in his last campaign, but in his last in the presidency between 2003 and 2010. Mm. But she's basically said that she's supporting him because at least she recognizes in him that he has a commitment to democracy and to the Brazilian constitution, which she cannot say the same for with uh, with Jair Bolsonaro. So we move on to the second round on October the 30th. And it, I mean, to all extents and purposes, it looks as though Lula is going to get over the 50 percent mark. But again, we, we know which way it's going to go, especially if it's not that big a win that he has. Bolsonaro is going to cast aspersions on the validity mm. of the process and last week actually a few days before the vote he said that a, a few apparatchiks a few civil servants could basically just change the result of the election if they wanted to so yeah a febrile uh, a sense of uh, fever fever pitch mm. and tension continues in brazil and this is now going to go on for another few weeks and actually probably if you look at the u.s example it's not going to finish after october the 30th it's going to run and run Yes, and also if you look at the U.S. example uh, and the storming of the Capitol and all that, um, I mean the headline in the uh, in the Times was "Fear of Violence Hangs Over Brazil as Rivals Face Runoff." It's not going to be all sweetness and light, is it? Whatever happens. 
already not sweetness and light. There's been two Lulu Silva supporters that have been killed by Bolsonaro supporters. There's a lot of intimidation taking place on the streets. And for sure, when the call comes questioning the election, the, the three big well, the two big questions are, one, how are Bolsonaro's supporters going to respond? And uh, I mean, going on what we're seeing so far and what we have seen over the last few months and years, they are going to take to the streets in a very militant way. And the second the key thing is how the military and the police are going to respond as well, because those guys are the ones that generally would be seen, uh, would be in charge with policing these demonstrations and uh, this discontent. But uh, th there is a fair, fair support network amongst those institutions for Bolsonaro as well. So, I mean, Bolsonaro's biggest hope, sadly, tragically, I mean, he's been basically foretelling uh, uh, piloting a coup attempt for months now. So his biggest hope to to win and to achieve power is for Brazil to go back to something like you know, the military dictatorship of the 50s, 60s and 70s. And uh -huh. it's up to the to the military uh, as to whether they go along with that, you know, with that call or not. Uh, hopefully they won't. Yeah, well, absolutely not. Um, more pleasant uh, news now from uh, your place where you are, Campeche, Mexico. It's just had the 482nd anniversary of its founding. It's always a big one, the 482nd. It is. Um, yeah. Well, tell me what goes on in Campeche and tell me a little bit about, you know, what Campeche is. Uh, better than uh, 482 years, better than 481, but not as good as 483, generally, is what that number uh, tells us. Yeah, look, Campeche is a strange state, one of 32 states in the Mexican Republic. It is in, in the, you know, on land. It has a bit of coastline. But in many ways, I always think and say that Campeche is something of an island state because historically it's been completely forgotten by by the rest of Mexico. People pass through here, but but never really stopped and, and so on. And this week has been, this month is the month of celebration of the Campechanía, the being Campechan. Uh, and this week has seen a lot of uh, streets, uh, processions, competitions and so on. On Wednesday, everybody took to the streets. I mean, almost everybody in Campeche, maybe except me, took to the streets in traditional uh, dress. Even my daughters got involved, uh, mass gatherings and celebrations and so on. Um, and really, yeah, it celebrates like, the history, the founding of Campeche in 1540, 4th of October 1540 by the Spanish conquistadors, which is a long time ago, but also interesting because obviously 1492 was when Cortes first arrived in the Americas. But it, we, we often think that this took place as, as an instant, but, it, but the, the colony, the colonization was a long old process. And this was 50 years further on from the arrival in, in Veracruz. And so this identity that, that exists in um, in Campeche, it's broadly speaking a celebration of, I guess, a hybridity of indigenous communities because Campeche was uh, was built on the old Mayan city of Aquinbech, as often happened with with the colony and so on. Um, it also interesting because Campeche uh, Campeche's signposts as regards identity, for sure, are about traditional dress and foods and customs and traditions. But almost unlike a, a, a number of other places, they also speak of Campechan values. And kindness, honesty and frankness are celebrated this month as being who Campechans want to be in terms of their day-to-day -day, uh, dealing with other people. Yeah, 
Oh, that's fascinating. And uh, as you say, it's, uh, it's useful for uh, listeners who occasionally on quiz shows, they ask for um, states in Mexico. And the, there's only the only one that anybody ever knows is the one that gives its name to a small dog. And I've forgotten what it's I've forgotten. Chihuahua. That one. Chihuahua. That's right. It's the only one anybody ever knows. Uh, but now we've got two Chihuahua and Campeche. Uh, the there must be a thing about. No, yeah, we can we can maybe do a tour of a virtual a radio tour of uh, states of Mexico yeah. um, over the next few weeks. The interesting thing about Chihuahua is that Chihuahua is also an exclamation here. If somebody is shocked or surprised by something, uh, you will hear them mumbling under their breath, "Hi, Chihuahua." <laughs> it's great. It was like a clip from a spaghetti western that. Um, Yes, let's finish with the sports story. This is interesting because the sport is kicking ball and it's been uh, brought to Argentina by uh, Venezuelan refugees. And we spoke a lot about Maduro and all the chaos that went on in Venezuela. And a lot of those people were leaving in droves. And a lot of those refugees arrived in Argentina and they brought this sport with them. Yeah, of course, any international event, of course, has... Uh, side effects that gradually make themselves known over time. And, and little would we have thought that Venezuela losing a third of its population over a four or five year period would have led to this, to the, to the popular emergence of this kicking ball uh, sport around Latin America. And actually, there's going to be an international competition coming up in, in Colombia uh, in the next few weeks. Essentially, it is uh, baseball, but you basically kick the ball. The rules are exactly the same. Two teams of 10 played on a baseball pitch, but it was um, very, very popular in Venezuela. And so Venezuelan migrants and refugees have taken to playing this in the uh, remote parks and playing fields of various countries in in Latin America and more broadly. And it's really taken on uh, a, a new life. So, uh, yeah, this this kind of the, the diaspora has has generated, has moved the, the little known sport of kicking ball from being a local Venezuelan uh, street sport into being a you know one of latin america's fastest growing sports at the moment yeah amazing um john as always thank you uh, ever so much enjoy the rest of your uh, um well not so much independence day but the rest of your founders uh, founders day or foundation day uh in uh, campeche and uh, thanks uh, ever so much for talking to us talk soon Excellent. There we go. John Bonfilio uh, joining us from uh, Campeche in Mexico, celebrating its 482nd uh, anniversary. Now, 